Well, a year and a half ago, just as our nation started to open up after the first big lockdown, uh, our politicians started speaking about a grand new vision for our country. Clearly, there was a need for vision. Now, looking back since then, it seems that maybe not a lot happened for the last year and a half, but it's certainly the fact that that wasn't the first, that wasn't the only lockdown, and the fact that there were many afterwards may well have had something to do with that. But at the time, uh, Graham Errington said to me that he thought it was time for our church to think about its vision for the future. And he encouraged me to get everybody together and uh, to show some leadership. Now, to be honest, I'm a, I'm a pretty optimistic kind of guy. Um, but initially, I was a little bit hesitant about doing this. After all, I've been at a lot of strategic planning meetings. And a lot of the time they come up with a fancy slogan that everybody signs off on and then it sort of gets put in the drawer and not looked at for another five years. I don't mean to be cynical, but I have been to a few of those before. But Graham is a wise guy and so I followed his advice and gathered us all together on the 18th of July in the year 2020. So how long ago is that? It's about 18 months ago, isn't it? And I invited any member of our church who wanted to come along to to talk about our direction and to get their input. And on that vision day, we came together. And, and what would normally happen on that sort of situation is you would try and come up with a mission statement and a vision statement and maybe some values and goals and plans and all sorts of things like that. But at that meeting 18 months ago, I said, look, let's just focus on values. After all, we've got a really good statement by our diocese, a really good mission statement, a bit wordy, a bit clunky, but it you know, ticks all the boxes. Let's just have that as our mission, and then our vision can be, just do that really, really well, and off we go. And then I said, why don't we look at then on our six values? We spent a lot of time looking at our six values. Uh, you can read them on the website, but here they are. Orthodox, Anglican, missional, intergenerational, village and heritage. Uh, they were the six headings that we looked at, the six different values. They tried to summarise what our church was like and what mattered to us. And I'm really, really thankful to God that we've had these six values. They have served us really well over the last two years. And they've helped us, especially as we've had to make some decisions about different ministries we do and don't do. It's been a really valuable thing to have for us. But it's funny, but, but more recently I've actually been thinking that it might be a good idea to have a vision statement after all. Because if we just say, you know, let's do the diocesan mission really, really well, then in a sense that's a little bit general and it doesn't really capture our imagination much. And so I started thinking about what our vision under God could be. Do we have a vision with a goal in it? Kind of like 20% of the people who live in the parish or 500 people in attendance or, or something like that, that kind of goal. Um, it certainly captures our imagination and it could inspire us and you can certainly count it and see how you're going. You can have fancy graphs and all sorts of things. But I think that aiming for more parishioners on pews at Jamboree Anglican isn't actually the goal of our ministry. In fact, I don't think that our goal should be higher attendance at our church. In fact, the best thing we can do is actually empty our church of passionate missional disciples and send people off to do ministry apprenticeships and to do theological training and to do overseas mission 
If we did that, we might find that our church shrinks in half. We say, what kind of minister are you sending half the people away? Well, hopefully a faithful minister. It may well be that the Lord uses the next five years to have this place so revved up and sent out that more people around the world will know about Jesus. And there'll be enough left of us here in Jamboree to do the rest of the ministry and we won't even feel it. That'd be better than filling up the pews of Jamboree Anglican, wouldn't it? I hope you think so. And what's more, if we set a goal of numbers of people in our church, the problem is we might actually end up distorting the message to try and lure people into our church. We might soften the message so that lots of people come. And maybe in the end that the truth of Jesus might fade into the background. And that would be a big fail. So today I want to share with you my draft vision statement for our church here at Jamboree and why I think it might be a benefit for us in our ministry together. It's a draft because I'd love to hear your feedback after today. And it's also a draft because it's a living document. And it's also a shared document for us all. So start thinking about whether you can help improve it too. I I actually sent it out during the week in our news sheet online and I've already changed one word if you can see if you can spot that. But here it is as it stands. That each person in our village, valley and region knows how to follow Jesus and why it matters. That each person in our village, valley and region knows how to follow Jesus and why it matters. I want to spend a little bit of time telling you today why I think this is a helpful statement that will put our attention in the right places as we have our mission before us. But before we do that, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at a terrific section of the New Testament that helps us understand the nature of gospel ministry this side of the cross. It's the first couple of chapters of 2 Corinthians, chapters 1 through to 4. And it comes as a part of a quite an extraordinary letter from Paul to a pretty troubled church. Their relationship between Paul the Apostle and the church, I don't want to say that it got toxic, but it got pretty bad. And some of them seem to have completely lost track of what really matters the most. But the issue, amongst others, is that they've actually started to call into account his integrity. In some sort of way, they've said, oh, you just flip-flop and between this and that, you change your mind and, you know, well, what do you stand for anyway? And with that, Paul writes back to them and says, hey, watch it. There's actually, what I'm doing is, don't impute all these different motives against me and what I'm trying to do. And as he goes about this, he starts to talk about the challenges of being a gospel minister, a gospel speaker. And he shows them in this first little bit of chapter 2 that being a gospel speaker is challenging. If you you see these ministers who become rich and popular, that, that even Oprah and others want to get you on TV with them, then you think, oh, you know, I wonder if you've just gone off message. Because when you are a person who speaks the truth of the Bible, it's going to be challenging. Have a look at verse 14 of chapter 2. Paul says, But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. 
He's basically saying that gospel preachers are like slaves who have been made captive by Christ and he is dragging them along like prisoners behind him in a parade. Gospel preachers are slaves to Christ. It's not that impressive. It's not like you've kind of got this really fancy sports car and Jesus is there and the preacher's next to it. It's like, hey, I'm here with Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of like, no, you're being dragged along behind the car. We are slaves of Christ. And Jesus the Lord is our slave master. A slave master who loves us beyond our wildest imagination. And as we who proclaim the gospel of Jesus go about this procession of victory, our lives make a fragrance. They make a smell. We smell. Have a look at verse 15. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Our fragrance as gospel speakers, it it smells, it makes a smell. But what's interesting is it makes a different smell to different people. Some will love the smell of our ministry and others will hate it. Some will love our ministry and others will hate it. How will you know which one is which? Well, it turns out in the next verse that to those who are perishing, we, the gospel speakers, are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate with such a task as this? In other words, to those who are being saved by Jesus, our ministry will be a beautiful, sweet smell. But to those who reject Jesus, our words will stink. It's hard to imagine that one smell could conjure up such opposite reactions to people. It reminds me a bit of Vegemite. Uh, For many of us, our first solid meal was Vegemite toast. And maybe you fed your kids Vegemite toast as their first solid meal, I think. Or maybe it was wheat bix but anyway, certainly Vegemite came in pretty early. Uh, we love Vegemite in our household, so much so that when we went overseas on long service leave in 2014 to California, we took a really large jar of Vegemite with us and we, we treated it like it was precious. And we'd make our toast in the morning if we could find some real bread. And we would spread it very finely so that we could still have a taste of home as we travelled around. To us, it was beautiful. But you take it to Americans and you say, oh, try this stuff. In fact, I remember when they opened up our bags at Los Angeles Airport and there was someone there who, who was in the customs and they opened it up and they looked at the stuff and what's this? I thought I was going to confiscate. He said, oh, Vegemite, this stuff is horrible. But, well, to you it is. To you it stinks. But to me... It's like the aroma of life. There are other things like that as well. I don't know the smell, but apparently there is a famous Asian fruit called durian or durian. Uh, It smells so bad that it is banned in Singapore and in Bangkok, Thailand. It's not allowed to be there at all. But some people love the smell. They love the taste, but others hate it. This is what the gospel of Jesus is like. It's what the good news of Jesus is like. To those who are friends with Jesus, who are wanting to follow Jesus, he is beautiful. It's like, friend, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, yeah, tell me about how to follow Jesus. It's great news. Come on in. I've been waiting to hear from you. For others, it's like, Jesus... This distinction is really important for us as we go about 
telling people about Jesus and in particular about the nature of the ministry of our church which will then flow on to what we pick as a vision statement. You see, in all of this, our job is to do the telling and the rest is up to God. Our job is to do the telling and the rest is up to God. Some will love us, some will hate us. Which is exactly what Jesus said, didn't he? In Matthew 10. We we already saw this in a question and answer time. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. I looked back at Matthew 10 as I was preparing this sermon and saw most of chapter 10 is about how much people will hate you when you stand up for Jesus. (laughs) We should realise that. We should expect rejection. If you're a follower of Jesus and you tell people about Jesus, you should expect for many of them to say, I won't be involved with that. I don't want anything to do with that. I think you're stupid. It should be a totally normal part of sharing the gospel. To some, we will be a beautiful fragrance. And to others, we'll stink like dog poo. So given that it's our job to share the gospel, and it's God's job to do all the rest, I think that's going to help us with our vision statement. We will be focusing on communicating the truth of Jesus. And we won't be counting converse. We'll be less fussed about how many people are sitting on pews and more fussed about how many people actually know how to follow Jesus. And that's why this is what our vision needs to be. We need to be people who focus on our bit of the job and we leave the rest to God. And it also means that the way we speak the message will also be consistent with who Jesus is. This is important as well. We will do our ministry working with the gospel grain, not against it. We will say things that match who Jesus is, that won't change the message by the way that we speak it. And that's what we see a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians when Paul speaks of the new way of knowing God through Jesus, not the law of Moses. And we get to chapter 4. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way that he talks about in chapter 3, we never give up. It is a call to persevere. We should never give up. Even when people think we stink. In fact, when people reject our message... When we cause a bit of a stink by what we say, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think it shows that we're doing something right. But also when people accept our message and join us in the costly path of following Jesus, it also means that we're doing something right. Because they've understood it and they've got on board. So in all of this, can you see, it's about us speaking, not converting. God converts, we persuade. And the way we persuade needs to be consistent with the message we speak. Verse 2, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. You know, there there are so many ways that we could fill this church building five times over a weekend. We could get 500 people along to the church every weekend if we really wanted to. I suspect it would need us to stretch the truth a little bit though. We'd probably have to overpromise the earthly benefits of following Jesus. You know, follow Jesus and you'll be rescued from financial stress. And you'll be healed from medical problems. You'll be restored in all your relationships. 
You'll be happy and healed and everything else will be good. I think if we said that message and backed it up with, with some sort of evidence, then, you know, we'd have every pew would be filled. Sadly, this is a technique some people use today to convince people to follow Christ. And the Apostle says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. He says, not us. And the Apostle says, we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. Not us. We won't trick anyone. We won't distort God's word. We get a good turnout on on Friday nights at our youth ministry, but I reckon we could get ten times as many if we were happy to do a couple of things and made it into a huge party. And, and it, you know, or you could just imagine the kind of things that would get a whole bunch of teenagers there. We could do that. But in the end, they would be underhanded methods. And we reject them. Our job is to tell the truth before God. That's our job, not to pull big numbers, but to proclaim the truth. And then some will believe and others won't. And in all of it, Satan will be working hard to prevent people believing. We read verses 3 and 4. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Our job is to proclaim, and the rest is up to them and to God. And many people will reject our message because they've been blinded by Satan. That's not our fault. It's not what we're accountable for either. Our job is to speak a message. Verse 5. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. The message is short and simple. Jesus Christ is Lord. We urge people to follow Jesus as their Lord, as their master, as their loving ruler. That's the heart of the message. And it will be difficult and sometimes painful to preach that. And for some people, in some parts of the world, it is fatal. You go around telling people that Jesus is Lord and not Muhammad, and people will cut your head off. This is what speaking the gospel can do. We read it in verse 8 and 9 and 10. The Apostle says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. It's a bit like we're in the middle of a really big and long war. And we know that many people have gone and fought and have died. And the boats and planes have already come back and we see all these people who are missing limbs and have had serious injuries. 
and the government says, will you come and fight? You think, oh, I've always wanted to travel and see the world. It's like, hmm, you will travel and see the world, but you may well get blown up in the process. Chances are you will, or you'll see someone do that. You want to be a follower of Jesus and speak the gospel of Jesus. Expect to get blown up for it. It's going to be tough. But when the king or country or queen or country or whoever says we need to go to war, what do you do? You say, it's going to be hard, but we'll go. And that is what our king, the Lord Jesus, calls us to do. Many of us, like these apostles, will suffer. We'll get knocked down, but we won't be destroyed or crushed or abandoned. There have been times when I have felt it more than other times. And when I've taught high school scripture at times uh, at certain schools, that's uh, I've felt probably um, knocked down, driven to despair, hunted down, abandoned by, but not abandoned by God. Um, it was wonderfully rewarding, but at times pretty tough. But it, sometimes it's those conversations with with family members, with friends, where you tell them about Jesus, and they just don't get it, and they just want to have less to do with you as a result. People who have used to come to our church, but I hear from someone, from someone that they stopped coming because of something that was taught from the pulpit and it's just a bit awkward when you bump into them at Freddo's. The easy thing to do is to say, oh, what did I say that they didn't like? Okay, I'll stop saying those things because I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to like our church. I want to fill this place up with 500 people each week. But that's not what we must do. Verse 13 and 14. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist said had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. And we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. With the apostles... We preach the good news because we have the concrete assurance that we will rise from the dead with Jesus. We know that will happen. We know that we'll be united in person with all who have followed Jesus. The empty tomb is our assurance. The empty tomb is our confidence. And all of this brings more and more glory to God. Verse 15. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. As the word of God is proclaimed everywhere, all the other followers of Jesus receive the benefit. And more than that, God himself receives more and more glory. Don't miss this point. This is really important. Our humble speaking about Jesus when someone asks us, what's the deal with the Jesus is t-shirt? Or, or when they say, oh, you go to that church up there. Why is that important to you? And you say stuff and you walk away and you think, blah, blah, oh, gee, I got that wrong. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, one of the guys in the fire said to me, you know, oh, what'd you preach on yesterday? Do you think I could remember? It was right there. It was kind of like a like sitting there. It was a slow ball, just curving really slowly. And I was ready to go. It was like, ah, you know, I eventually got there. But you think, oh, how on earth do we? How on earth does anything good happen to God when I open my stupid mouth? He does. 
He gets the glory. He gets the glory when we tell people how to follow Jesus, even if we stumble along along the way. And all of this brings us back to the draft vision statement of our church. That each person in our village, valley and region knows how to follow Jesus and why it matters. How does that match up with what we've just seen from 2 Corinthians? Well, let's have a look at a couple of the little phrases. The first phrase sees us have the vision narrow to each person. It's a folk... It's focused on effective ministry to each individual person, not to the whole crowd, not to all the people, not to every person. It's actually to each person, each individual personally valued person made in the image of God by God himself. And this makes me think about the individual lost sheep rather than a whole lost flock, if if I can stretch the analogy to that. It's more about the one than the 99, if you know what I mean. And it means that we will work hard to stop and think about all the different types of people around. People of all ages, all languages and ethnicities, all religious and denominational backgrounds, all educational levels, all industries and occupations, all family situations, singles, couples, married, families, younger, older, all interests and hobbies. We will think about each person individually so that we can communicate with them individually about the best way to follow Jesus. But which people? When we say each person, then each person where? Well, it takes us to the next little bit, which says, in our village, valley and region. Now, I love the vision of CMS, the Church Missionary Society, which says... A world that knows Jesus. It's an absolute cracker. We want the world to know Jesus as well, and we could basically nick that for ourselves. But our church has also been given a specific responsibility that we need to take seriously. An interesting relic of the Church of England is that every piece of land on the globe is in one particular Anglican parish. Like a sort of an electoral map, the whole of Australia was broken down into individual parishes. And one person has a responsibility for each of those little bits on the map. Our parish here at Jamboree extends roughly from kind of almost all the way to Mount Terry at the top of Albion Park, up to Knights Hill, across to Barren Grounds, and then over Saddleback and down into Broughton Village. It shows you how old the uh, maps are. It actually was when you could drive there from our parish and not have to go the long way. And then it goes around, sort of up to around Jarera Way and then someone back. It, you look on the map, it's a huge area. Not a, lot, not a lot of people living in it, but it's a huge geographical area nonetheless. As our parish, it's our responsibility to make sure that it, we are serving those people in our area with the gospel of Jesus. I kind of think of it in terms of being the Anglican minister, sort of like I am the chaplain to the people who are living in this parish. Kind of like if I was a school chaplain, I'd be a chaplain to everybody who was in the school community. And if I was a hospital chaplain, I'd be a chaplain to everybody who goes to the hospital. I'm a chaplain to all the people in the address around Jamboree. I see it in that kind of way. And that's why our little statement says, our village and valley. But I've also included the word region there. Uh, Each parish in the Diocese of Sydney is part of a mission area and ours, the Southern Illawarra Mission Area, consists of the churches 
in the Shell Harbour and the Kayama LGAs. That's why each week we will pray for another church. So we prayed today for was Oak Flats, wasn't it? That's right. So we prayed for Oak Flats. You might wonder why we pray for that church. It's because it's in our region, in our mission area, and we, we care for the people in that area as well. In my mind, we should have a special focus not only on our parish, but the mission area. We want to see every person, not only in our parish, but in our mission area as well, know how to follow Jesus and why it matters. This vision statement doesn't say that we want them to come to our church. Did you notice that? It says that we want them to know how to follow Jesus. And so we will work with like-minded people in other churches to do just that. Now, some of the people who live in the geographical area of the parish of Jamboree go to churches in other parishes. That's terrific. Great. And some people in other parish areas will come to our church, which is also great. It turns out that the 180 members in our church, are around just over 60 of them, of you, live in our parish area which means just under 120 live outside our parish area. Interesting, isn't it? So in many ways, we are a regional church, bringing people from 20 minutes or more in any direction. That's actually the way it works in most churches these days. If people will travel 20 minutes to go to a large shopping centre, they'll travel 20 minutes to go to church. And people do, and some of you do. And so with this in mind, it means that if we adopt this vision, then whether you live in Windang or Calderwood, or Minamara or Jeringong, you should feel motivated to make sure that all the people in your street know how to follow Jesus and why it matters. And as you do so, those people may well end up at other Bible-believing churches, which is great. But if they're not going anywhere else, tell them how to follow Jesus and why it matters and feel totally comfortable to invite them here to Jambrew Anglican if this is your church. Well, the next phrase tells us what our vision is for all those people. And it is that each person in our village, valley and region knows how to follow Jesus. Now, there are a lot of things that I could have put in this little spot here. I could have said that, all the, that each person in, the village, in our village, valley and region knows Jesus as Lord or knows the gospel of Jesus. I could have done that. But I've chosen not to say that the vision is that they become followers of Jesus as much as I would want them to. The vision is that they know how to follow Jesus. Can you see the slight distinction there? What it means is I can knock on my next door neighbour's door and if they can tell me how to follow Jesus and why it matters, then my work is done. I want each person to know for themselves how a person can correctly know how to follow Jesus and why it matters. Many of them might say, oh, I can tell you exactly how to follow Jesus and why you think it matters. I think it's rubbish. But I know it. I've read it. I've seen it. One of your people from your church has already been hassling me about it on the train and on the bus and on the work and whatever and wherever it is I see them. We expect that rejection. And we've seen it from 2 Corinthians, haven't we? But our job, if we follow this vision, is to do all we can to communicate the true way to become and remain a follower of Jesus. So we'll tell people, it's not by doing good things that you become a follower of Jesus. And we'll tell people that you can become a follower of Jesus even if you've done really bad things in the past. And we'll tell them a whole lot of other things like that as well. And we'll tell them that to become a follower of Jesus 
means simply to say sorry to Jesus for rejecting him as the one who's their creator and asking to follow him and obey him as loving ruler. If all the people in my street can do that, then most of my work is done. Although because I'm the minister of the whole the parish, I'd better get knocking a bit more. But even so, that would not be the end of my job because I'm going to be praying like crazy that now they know how to follow Jesus and why it matters, that they will actually follow Jesus. And the reason I do that is because of the last bit of the vision statement. We've said who each persons are, we've said what we want them to know, but there's another bit that I added in after that. that I I thought about this a bit and I, I think it's important to have this. And that is, they'll know how to follow Jesus and why it matters. Why it matters. I don't just want people to know how to follow Jesus. Even the devil knows how to follow Jesus. And he's not going to heaven. I want them to know that it's the most important thing that anyone can ever do. I want them to know that if they don't follow Jesus that God remains angry with them. I want them to know that if they don't follow Jesus, that they face eternal judgment and punishment in hell. I want them to know that following Jesus is the most important thing they can do in life. But also, and even more so, I want them to know that God is at the centre of the universe, not us. I want them to know how to follow Jesus so that As they hear that invitation, God will be glorified. When people hear about the free gift of grace, doesn't that make God look good? Doesn't it make him look generous? Doesn't it make him look loving? Because he is all those things. When people find out the cost that God paid to forgive us, it makes him look so good even if they don't like him and believe it. As people understand the gospel, they, they will then give glory to God as they recognise his grace. When people realise how to follow Jesus and why it matters, they realise how glorious God is and that is the number one reason we exist, to glorify God. And so with that in mind, I propose this vision statement. That each person in our village, valley and region knows how to follow Jesus and why it matters. As I've rattled this round in my head over the last couple of weeks and shared it with a few people and bounced it off them, this vision has also sharpened my prayers and my plans. And I wonder if it might do the same thing for you. It's helped me think, okay, well, if that's really what we're on about, then What are we doing here? What is our church doing? What am I doing to equip individuals in our church? What are we doing as a body to make this thing happen? Uh, It's helped me think more about the individuals than the group. It's sort of more about specific conversations with specific people rather than just sort of global mass marketing in a way. It's made me think about individual conversations in our local schools and the way that we can talk to individual students through teachers and through their friends. It's also helping me as I'm thinking about ways to make the message here from behind the pulpit 
even clearer as well. And it's about helping me think how we together can make it easier to bring people to church to hear our simple and powerful message. But it's also helped me crystallise the message too. Uh, So, for example, uh, when friends in the fire brigade ask me stuff about Christian things, I'm thinking, well, well, where do I want this conversation to go to? Oh, I know. I want them to know how to follow Jesus and why it matters. That's the key. And when I speak here from behind the pulpit, I want to make sure that every sermon people know how to follow Jesus and why it matters. And when I see people in my my street or bump into them at Freddo's or wherever it is I go, chat to my family members, chat to my friends, I think, well, what do I want to talk about? I want to talk about how to follow Jesus and why it matters. And that's why in term one, we are going to try and have a focus on doing just this thing together. Every week is a good week to invite someone to church. But we're going to put even extra energy into the lead up to Easter and to Easter itself. Uh, After next weekend, we're going to be returning to our final big chunk of Matthew's Gospel. And I'll be preaching through the final 10 chapters. Can't wait. Good Friday, we get to chapter 27, and that is the crucifixion of Jesus. And that's going to be a special combined service for people who come on Saturday night and Sunday mornings all together on the Friday. Let's pack this place out and bring along our friends when people hear about the cross. But then on Easter Day, well, the day between Easter Sunday, Easter Day and Good Friday, I'm thinking we don't come to church on the Saturday night. But instead, let's have a combined service on Easter Day. And let's, let's, let's sort of do it a little bit differently. Let's do it outside. Let's have free bacon and egg rolls at 9 o'clock and stand around kind of like we did on, on the carols night and eat them together with our community for the first hour. Then at 10 o'clock, let's have church but have it outside. And I'll speak on, on the last chapter of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is risen. And then we'll have church together and we'll do it outside, in, beaming out to the community And then we'll have an Easter egg hunt and some hot cross buns and keep hanging out together. What do you reckon? Let's call it a live day. And let's consider the next 12 weeks as we lead up to Easter, uh, a lead up to a live day as we talk to people about the life and our passion for life. That's going to be a special day, but in the meantime, we have a vision to pray for a vision that longs to see each person in our village, valley and region know how to follow Jesus and why it matters. And as you pray, what are you personally going to do to make this happen? How will your growth group make it happen? How will your ministry at your school or workplace make it happen? How will you use your home and family and and other connections to make it happen? And what are you going to do to pray this prayer more? Will you pray with me each day that each person in our village, valley and region will know how to follow Jesus and why it matters? Will you pray that with me each day? I am so excited about this. But the thing is, it won't be easy. We'll go around sticking our neck out telling people why it matters, following Jesus and 
for some people, we will stink like an open sewer. They will reject us because they're rejecting Jesus. It's totally normal. It's to be expected. But in the end, don't give up. When you're tempted to, don't give up. Hear these words from the Apostle that close the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen.